Hello, I'm Henry. And I'm Trey. And welcome to Marvelous, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. Where we go through the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, show by show, movie by movie, in order of release. Or at least we did. Because this is kind of our last formal episode. Yeah, we are going to be shutting down. Or going on indefinite hiatus after this, after we do a Phase 2 podcast next. (laughs) Yeah, so... Sorry if this was a surprise, we did mention it in the previous episode, but yeah, like we've said in our last episode, we have been finding it really hard to find the time to continue doing the podcast, so at least for now, we are going to go on a pretty much indefinite hiatus. Yeah, I don't think people realize how much time is involved in watching all the stuff and podcasting and taking notes and actually editing everything. There's, there's a lot that goes into it, so we've decided to focus on other things for now. Yeah, if you're listening to an hour-long episode, it did not take one hour to make that episode. It took a lot longer. (laughs) A lot longer. (laughs) But if you like this podcast, stay tuned, because we will probably still come out with specials on new movies and stuff once in a while. Yeah, there's pretty much no way we're going to hold in all of our thoughts for Avengers 4. (laughs) Not at all. Or probably Captain Marvel. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yep. So anyways, on with the rest of the episode. Trey... What is the IMDb synopsis? The IMDb synopsis is... Armed with a supersuit with the astonishing ability to shrink in scale but increase in strength, cat burglar Scott Lang must embrace his inner hero and help his mentor, Dr. Hank Pym, plan and pull off a heist that will save the world. That's pretty solid. One thing that made me really confused about this movie overall is they show off how talented Scott is at thieving... But he only really did one heist ever. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, I understand he worked at a security company, so he really understood how to defend. But that doesn't really explain how his ability to attack is so incredible. Especially when it's not just breaking in through security systems. It's like parkour and lots of physical stuff. Yeah, I don't know. They make it seem like he has more of a history than that one heist, but they only ever talk about that one heist. Yeah, I want to know more. Like, was there more? Who knows? Like, the only heist they talk about was the heist of the company he got fired from for whistleblowing all the shady things they were doing. So he's, like, shown us this cool Robin Hood figure. But it sounds like he did some shady stuff, too. Who knows? Yeah, can I also just voice my questioning of the term cat burglar? There's no cats involved. Why is it called this? Because <laughs> they're sneaky little guys that steal, like, that steal your food and stuff. I don't know. I'm like, is this because someone has stolen cats in the past? Or is this because they are like a cat in that they're so quiet? <laughs> I think it's because they're like a cat. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> the only context that really matters is that Peggy and Howard Stark used to work in S.H.I.E.L.D., so they know Hank Pym. And also, Hank Pym mentions Age of Ultron and Sokovia falling from the sky. So that's about it. And the Avengers moved to the new facility. Oh, yes, of course. (laughs) At the the end of Age of Ultron. Jeez, how could I forget? Well, apparently Hank Pym forgot, too. (laughs) Well, Hank Pym didn't know. Why wouldn't he check? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, like, that's one of the things when watching the movie, I was just wondering... Wouldn't the Avengers moving headquarters be, like, really highly publicized? Probably. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, to be fair, Hank's kind of a hermit, so who knows? 
but he's like super tuned into everything else. It's hilarious. In the entire MCU, he's like the closest thing we have to an omnipotent character just because he has ants and other things just searching everywhere always. It's really creepy. Too focused on the ants and not enough on the news, I guess. <laughs> I, I, yeah, maybe. I mean, the ants can't deliver information to him from around the world, I guess, without like relays or something. So I guess he's just omnipotent of San Francisco. <laughs> sure. Cool. <laughs> Well, anyways, anyways. <laughs> Henry, what were your first thoughts of the film the first time you saw it? Yeah, so <laughs> the first time I saw this was kind of a funny story because I was at my summer camp and I was supposed to see it with a bunch of friends on a day off and things didn't work out super well, but I needed to see the movie as soon as possible. So I was really sick and I went to go see the movie really late at night on my own and I was like late to get back to camp on my own. Anyways, I tried so hard to see this movie and it paid off because I freaking love this movie. It was so interesting going to this one after the epic scale of Age of Ultron to such a small scale of this movie, but it's just so fun and so funny and just such a good movie. How about you? Yeah, I thought the same. My first thoughts are still my thoughts, which are that this movie is hilarious. It's fun. It's refreshing. It's like just the humor that they use is just, it feels completely new and refreshing in this universe. And the movie is so smaller scale than everything we've gotten before that, and, and literally too, because he actually yeah. shrinks. So <laughs> I thought it was really fun heist movie that I just really enjoy. Yeah, seriously. And like you said, like my opinions are pretty much the same now. Like, God, just rewatching this movie, it just makes me so happy. <laughs> Like, sometimes when rewatching movies for this podcast, I feel like I'm overanalyzing too much and not really enjoying the movie as much as I could be. Same. But this movie is always so enjoyable to watch. Yeah, it's pretty good. There's only one thing that's always a hang-up for me on this film, and it's always that irritation that they don't let Hope wear the suit when she's way more capable than Scott. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it would have been nice if they showed how many things she was doing on the inside while Scott was doing all of his Ant-Man shenanigans to show that, yes, we really do need hope on the outside. Yeah, but instead it's just, we can't put her in danger, so we must use this way less qualified guy and have an excuse to do that. Yeah. Bad excuse to do that. <laughs> yeah. Also, Hank mentions that he can't use the suit anymore. But he also said that his version of the suit, his helmet, doesn't have the brain scrambling effects. So I don't really know why Hank can't do it. Yeah, that's something I noted for later in the movie, too. Yeah. Which is, I don't understand that either. They have one throwaway line of, I can't, it took its toll on me. And that's all he says. And I'm like, what does that mean, though? <laughs> yeah. My my biggest gripe with this movie, which, hey, before we even like start, let's do my, that's a stretch, is the science. <laughs> Like, seriously, I just want to get this out of the way. The science that they use to explain the pin particles saying that, oh, we just reduce the distance between atoms and somehow that makes you smaller and also lighter, but also hit the things as hard as you would have at full size with the size of someone smaller. So blah, 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 blah. None of it makes sense. You have to get past that. Like Hank Pym's tank keychain, if... The only difference was that the atoms were closer together. Then it would still weigh as much as a tank. Like, it just doesn't make sense. 
But ignoring that all, it's fantastic. I just want to get that out of the way because I don't want to have to talk about it the entire time. Yeah, it's it's definitely inconsistent with regard to that science. Because they're like, some people are denser and heavier, but then other things are super light now. And it's like, okay. But I don't really care about the science that much, so I don't, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I guess we should actually start going into the movie. Yeah, that would probably be a good idea. <laughs> So we start with Hank Pym wandering into the midst of, I'm thinking it's a S.H.I.E.L.D. meeting, because it has Peggy Carter and Howard Stark and this random other S.H.I.E.L.D. dude. Yeah. Well, it's try Skellion when it was being built, which is cool, because you see it half-made in this one, and in Winter Soldier, it got destroyed, so we get to see it through its entire lifespan. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we start with that meeting in 1989 when Hank is just really angry at Howard Stark for daring to try and copy his formula to shrink, which is kind of surprising that he'd be that angry because obviously Howard would want to copy it, but... <laughs> yeah. Well, I think he's specifically angry because he had been purposefully hiding the technology from Olive Shield. And then when he was sent on a mission into the Soviet Union, Howard Stark seems to have broken into his lab and stole information in order to duplicate it, as Hank had explicitly told him not to, or something along those lines. Did they say that he broke into his lab? Because it sounded like Hank went into Howard's lab and found that he had been trying to replicate the formula. Oh, you know, I might have totally mixed that up in my head. I don't remember. Yeah, because I don't think they said anything about Howard actually, like, trying to steal it directly from Hank. He was just trying to copy it himself. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. So, yeah, I find it a little funny that he gets that mad about it to the point where he's like, I resign! How dare you! <laughs> but he doesn't want the tech in anyone's hands, so there's that. <laughs> this is also after his wife had died because of the technology, so he's extra paranoid about it. Yeah, and it gives more context to why he doesn't want anything to do with the Avengers in these films moving forward. Yeah. Because you can't trust the Stark. Indeed. It's kind of funny. In all of the MCU, Tony Stark gets so much shit because of people hating his dad. I know. <laughs> He's not the same person, guys. Come on. <laughs> I know. It's it's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Blamed for the sins of your father. But it's also just really cool to see Peggy Carter have another random cameo. Yeah. <laughs> it is cool. It's kind of funny to think about that scene in particular when Howard and Hank are aged down, but Peggy is aged up. Yeah. Yeah. Just <laughs> while they were filming that, that must have been weird. I would love to see a behind the scenes thing about that. Wait, is Howard aged down? I don't know, but it's still interesting because, I mean, Hank was definitely aged down and Peggy was definitely aged up. And Mitchell, the other random guy, was also aged down. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The <laughs> random guy who was also a Hydra agent who really cares. His purpose in the movie is very simple. I'm a jerk face who worked for S.H.I.E.L.D., but I was actually Hydra. Yep. Anyways, we come to the present where Scott is in a prison fight as the goodbye ritual for leaving jail, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, like, this starts out kind of really intense and then gets really silly. And it's just such a good way to start the movie to get you right in the mindset of, oh, this is what it's going to be. It's just like how Guardians was, where you started with Peter Quill in a mask and he's on a scary, desolate planet and you don't know what's going on. And then he puts in his Walkman and starts dancing and kicking aliens. You're like, oh, it's your fun movie. 
Yeah, for sure. They both do very good jobs of setting up the tone of their movie because they're both very comedy focused, but their comedy is also very different. Yeah, absolutely. We also get a really good introduction to Luis when he oh picks God. up Scott. <laughs> Luis's poor life. I know. His girlfriend left him, his mother died, and his dad got deported. But hey, at least he is the van. Yeah, and just the fact <laughs> the fact that he says all of these things with such a cheerful tone, it's like <laughs> Oh, I don't know how to take this, but it's sadly funny. Yeah. In a sad way. <laughs> it's kind of funny to think about it, because like Luis was Scott's Selly. But later on, they explained that he was in jail because he stole two smoothie machines. Or at least he was arrested for that. Maybe that's not why he was in jail. But, like, how long were they cellmates? Because I feel like two smoothie machines wouldn't keep you in jail for that long. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Louise is such a great character. To be fair, I think Ant-Man is one of the few franchises that could benefit from prequels because there's a lot that could be explored with Hank and Janet in their Ant-Man and Wasp days. There's a lot that could be explored with Luis and Scott and their previous... <laughs> Prison days? Yes. And <laughs> things that got them there. And yeah. I just want a spinoff of Kurt, the Eastern European guy, like his journey to America, which has to have been on a boat. And him sure. telling, like, old European <laughs> stories. And I'm like, okay, man, I'm scared, but this is funny. <laughs> I don't need to see that, but sure. <laughs> I don't actually want it, but I would I would watch it if it existed. They could make a one-shot. Yeah, we need one-shots back. I was just thinking the same thing. Come on, <laughs> Kurt, one-shot. We need this. Yeah, but then Scott says that he doesn't want to go back to crime. He wants to get a real job and live straight, but... We see him at Baskin Robbins. <laughs> oh, no, having no, no. He specifies that he has a master's degree in electrical engineering and he'll be fine. Then Baskin Robbins. <laughs> right. What is with that kid who just wants a pretzel or something hot? Why is he such a dick? I don't know. That's so mean. That's like probably the one piece of humor that never has landed for me in this film. <laughs> it, it lands in the sense of, oh, his life is horrible. But it's, like, not funny. It's just, like, sad. <laughs> well, the Baskin-Robbins part is hilarious. Baskin-Robbins think... always finds out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I just love after that scene when he gets back from being fired, like, one of the four other guys is like, yeah, Baskin-Robbins always finds out. So funny. Yeah. And this scene does a really good job of communicating to you that no one would hire Scott and he had to get a job here by lying. And even though his boss was like super respectful of what he did, he's still like, well, I still have to fire you, of course. It's like, it just shows you how terrible our uh, justice system is, too. Yeah, it's not easy getting a job with a record. Nope, not at all. But it does a great job of showing Scott's struggle here. Yeah. And then we learn his backstory of... How his company was overcharging customers, and Scott blew the whistle and got fired, so he hacked in and transferred millions back to the people that the company took it from. Yeah, like I was saying before. He is a Robin Hood-esque character. Indeed. Which I just have to say, it's really sad that his ex-wife won't let him see his daughter, considering how hard it is for him to actually, like, get on his feet after this. Yeah, seriously. It's like, I understand limiting things but like not letting him even see his daughter until he can afford child support it's like so overly cruel yeah like when she's like get an apartment pay child support get a job i'm like 
that so he just can't see her for at least a year? <laughs> yeah, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> Especially once you meet Cassie and she's like the most lovable thing and is all that Scott needs to be inspired to do better in the world. Yeah, it's like clearly he's not a threat to her, so I don't see what harm it would do to let him visit supervised like once every couple weeks at least. <sighs> but... Oh well, <laughs> yeah. It gives him the motivation he needs to uh, get into the game of thievery again. Indeed. We do get introduced to Cassie though at that birthday party, and she is just the most darling child in the freaking world. <laughs> I want to give her a hug. She is the best. They immediately win you over to her by just. Having her so cheerfully say, Mommy's so happy you're here. She choked on her drink. <laughs> yeah. And then when Scott gives her the present of the really ugly bunny, and then she's like, It's so ugly. I love him. One. Yeah, it's so perfect. <laughs> it's so perfect. You'd love Cassie so much because of that, too. But also, you get such a good understanding that Scott loves his daughter and knows what she likes. For sure. <laughs> and she doesn't like normal girly things. <laughs> Even though she's in kind of a ballerina dress, which seems to be contradictory to that, but... <laughs> I don't know. Cassie does what she wants. <laughs> sure, yeah. Just whatever she likes. That's perfect. It is. It is. She is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I actually wish there was more of her in this movie, but... Oh my god, right? <laughs> Everything needs more Cassie. Yeah. She would be a contender for character of the week if there was more of her in this film. <laughs> yeah. Well, we should probably go a little bit back to when Hank gets introduced to the present when he returns the Pimtech, which is now being run by Darren Cross, his old protege, who is now clearly a dick and is the villain of the movie. <laughs> yeah. And there's like no shades of gray to this guy. He is just flat out the blackest of black and white you could possibly get. <laughs> Evil, maniacal, crazy person. Yeah, totally. But the scene also does a really good job of introducing Hope in her relationship with Hank. And now Hope doesn't call Hank father or dad or something. Hope calls him Hank. And Hank is like, can't you just call me dad? So clearly there's a lot of tension in this familial bond. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> um, but we find out that... Darren created his own yellow jacket suit to rival the Ant-Man technology, and he's really close to getting the shrinking of real human beings to work. Why does this sound so familiar, trying to sell his super suit? Hmm, definitely not Iron Man 1. Yes, we've already done this plot before, but it's okay. We don't have to worry about it that much. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of the interesting part about it, is I think Darren Cross reminded me... Almost exactly of Obadiah Stane's personality. Like, they're both just such black villains motivated by money and nothing else. They don't give a damn about anyone. And they're just, like, insane because of that. Yeah. The only difference is that Hope and Hank kind of imply that Darren's brain has been kind of screwed up by his pin particles. So maybe he wasn't all that bad, but now he's extra bad. <laughs> I was confused by that because it's not like he has shrunk himself yet, so I thought he was saying that it would be bad once he did. I don't know. I was confused by that. All the explanations about it were really weird, like later in the movie when Hank says he can't use the suit because he's been using the suit for too much, but also his helmet's supposed to prevent that. All of it's really confusing. However, it could be kind of like Red Skull, where he already was a pretty evil person, and then 
this brain chemistry altering effect just made him worse. And that's why Hope and Hank were watching him so closely. Just him experimenting on other things and being exposed to the particles, sort of? I guess, and also creating them. They never really showed how he created them. And also, why are they yellow when the pin particles are red? I don't know, man. Because <laughs> <laughs> by the end of the movie, they were clearly working, so they should have been the same, right? <laughs> no, because you have to have Ant-Man colors and yellow jacket colors. I guess. Maybe they just like doing food coloring. Sure. To make it pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but we do see evidence of Darren's evilness very soon after this, when this guy who literally all he said was, I'm impressed, I'm just concerned what happens if this falls into the hands of our enemies. That's all he said. That's like a valid concern. And Darren finds him in the bathroom and murders him. Yeah, with his shrink tech gun, which is the unfinished product of his shrinking war suit. But like, that's already a great weapon. You kill people without evidence. Yeah, but the scene just makes me feel a little questionable towards the whole thing because it's not enough motivation to kill someone. It's absolutely ridiculous. And also, I feel like it would put him under so much, like, heat for where did this guy go that was last seen in your building? Yeah, like, and you have security cameras. Like, clearly not in the bathroom, but, like, still? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Also, it's kind of funny because after Iron Man 1 and 2, the world now understands what super suits can do and like after whiplash they know like oh there is no such thing as one person having the power and the technology forever you have to be super careful with suits right so like that guy raised a super legitimate concern because in the recent history of the mcu it was relevant yeah so i don't know why that was necessary to kill him because of that but there you have it no disagreements with darren i guess They showed off a cool gun that they never used again. And showed how absolutely insane Darren Cross is. Yes. (laughs) But soon after, we find out that Hope and Hank are actually working together. But that Hank will not give Hope the suit in order to destroy the Yellow Jacket technology. Which we already talked about being probably the main flaw of the film, because it's stupid. (laughs) Yeah, like, if they were so worried about him making this tech, they shouldn't have let him get this far. They should have stopped it sooner with Hope using the suit. That ties into another point later on, though, that I have, is that Hank says when he refused to help Darren make the particle, Darren had him voted out, and Hope was the deciding vote to vote him out. But then as soon as he gets close to making the particle, Hope immediately runs back to her father to be like, oh my god, he's close. And it's like... If you didn't want him to make it, why would you vote your father out then? Like, I get there's the tension between them, but it feels weird. Yeah, maybe she thought it was impossible at the time for anyone else to do it, especially Darren. And she just wanted to get back at him and vote him out. Basically. (laughs) That's one of the weird things about this movie is that Hope and Hank's relationship is fundamentally really awful. And this movie doesn't do a great job of fixing it. So towards the end of the movie, once they're way more cordial and loving of each other, it's kind of weird. (laughs) I mean, they do show exactly why he did all the things he did and her understanding that. So I think there was that moment of reconciliation. Kind of, but he still should have told her decades ago. Yeah, but we're not even to that scene yet, so should we even be talking about it? Okay, fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Scott spurred on by his desire to see his daughter goes to Luis and is like, all right, what's your tip on 
the next thief job or whatever. Yep. And we get Luis's play-by-play. (laughs) His first story. The first of several. And they're all beautiful. Yep. They are one of the key elements of the Ant-Man films. Oh my god, I love it so much. (laughs) Everything about what he's doing, what he's saying, is just perfect. And I just love that the actors are saying all the lines in his voice. Because that's clearly not how they were talking, and it's just so great. Yeah, it's pretty funny. But then that leads them to break into Hank's house. And we get lots of cool moments with Scott Lang and, like, his abilities. Just from the very start when he jumps over that fence with, like, so much ease and just really cool. And then gets to the second story really easily and takes out the alarm. J-Rig's the fingerprint code on the door and then freezes through the second door that's made out of titanic material. It was all just really well done. Where did he find all these things? <laughs> like, clearly, Hank Pym's house is probably the place to find the technology that you need to break into a safe. But, like, the liquid nitrogen? Where did he get that? <laughs> did he have that with him in his bag? I didn't pay attention to that. <laughs> How is he this prepared? <laughs> he didn't even know what the safe looked like. Unless, can you make liquid nitrogen? No, not, like, randomly at your house, I think. Because he seemed to make a lot of things. (laughs) The fingerprint thing was easier to do. That stuff wasn't. I don't know, Henry. Stop questioning the science. I don't know, but it was really cool. Yeah, but then he opens the safe to find nothing but the suit. Which, in a world of superheroes, I feel like that should have been immediately more intriguing than what they thought it was. Maybe, but the suit itself is really unimpressive and just looks like a motorcycle outfit, so... I guess. I don't really think it looks all that much like a motorcycle suit. At least the helmet doesn't. The helmet doesn't, but the rest does. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Also, the helmet actually does. It just looks modified into a weirder thing. Sure. (laughs) So I feel like the helmet should have tipped him off, maybe. Yeah, yeah. That's what I really mean. But he does try on the suit, and then he discovers its magical powers. It's not magic, it's science. I was going to say, of science. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Which leads us to this fantastic sequence of him being smaller than the entire world around him, and it's just amazingly done. Yeah, the effects are incredible. It's like, it's amazing how exciting the mundane world around us gets when we are that small with him. (laughs) Yeah. Like, first, just the water filling up a bath is, like, an epic flood that's going to destroy everything. And then he, like, falls on a tile and it cracks. And you're like, oh, little cracked tile. That was cool! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then he, like, falls through several stories and down cracks and... Like, through a rave. (laughs) Through a rave and then gets vacuumed up and... Pops out of the vacuum. Ends up on top of a car and is like, okay, I'm done with the suit. (laughs) Bringing it back. Yeah. (laughs) You think that the guy whose car got, like, crushed would have reacted even more? Like, they'd have to actually, like, deal with the fact that Scott just broke his car. They probably did. (laughs) Maybe. Did he exchange insurance information or something? It's not like he has car insurance. He doesn't have a car. Details, Henry. Details. It's a weird one, okay? I feel like that's important. Yeah, but details. Okay. (laughs) We don't know. Fine. (laughs) But he ends up getting arrested when he returns the suit, ironically. Because Hope was not happy with Hank's entire plan of making Scott Ant-Man. Nope. 
So she calls the police on him. And then in prison, Hank goes and is like, if you do what I say, you'll get out. And he gives him the suit and has him escape with Shrinky Dink technology. Which he only had 10 seconds to put that suit on. How? How could he do that? It's so tight. I know. Every (laughs) single time I'm like, really? You did that? How? That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) That's a power in itself. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, I guess if your life depends on it, you put the suit on in 10 seconds or less. (laughs) Yep. And we also find out that Hank let him steal the suit. And it was his plan all along for Scott to do this. Yeah, and that Hank's been watching Scott for, like, years. (laughs) Like, since he was imprisoned. He's just been stalking Scott and his family and is super, super creepy about it. That's what I was talking about, like, the omniscient bit before. Like, Hank knows everything and it's creepy. Yeah, it's pretty creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Hank is a really weird character because he's really cool, but also terrifying. Yep. Like, if you're on his bad side, you're going to die in the most horrible way imaginable. I mean, I don't know if I'd go that far, but... Well, Hank wouldn't do that, but he could. He could go inside of you and expand and make you explode. Yep. <laughs> Except he can't because he can't wear the suit anymore. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> sure. He also has the technology to shrink you into nothing with his discs. Well, not to nothing. They would be ant-sized. Without suits, which is also confusing. Well, I guess it would mess up a person's brain. <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of scenes in Ant-Man 2 that really play with this that confuse me a lot, but we can't really talk about that, but... It just makes me, looking back at Ant-Man 1, very confused what the true limitations are. Yeah, but we also get Scott's first ride on a flying ant. This is also a cool scene of being super small when everything's big around you and, like, escaping on cars and stuff. Yeah, but it's too much for Scott to handle, so he passes out and wakes up in Hank's house. Wah, wah, wah. But during this escape scene, he actually flies on top of a newspaper clipping that says, Who's to blame for Sokovia? Which I thought was a great foreshadowing moment for the next movie, Civil War. Oh god, I never noticed that. It was only because I was paying attention in passing, and I I saw Sokovia, and I was like, what did that say? And I rewound and paused it. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I totally missed that. Yeah, so that's a cool piece of foreshadowing that they threw in there. Nice. But then we get back to Hank's house where Scott wakes up and Hope is just like staring at him while dicking around on her phone. And it's kind of creepy. And by kind of, I mean very creepy. Especially because it's clear that he wakes up and Hope is just still staring at him. Clearly creepy runs in the Pim's DNA. Yeah, God. (laughs) What is is wrong with them? (laughs) Yeah, but we get all the explanations of who they are and what they do and yada yada yada. And Hank basically says, if you help me, I'll reunite you with your daughter. So that gets him on board. Yeah, though he never explains how he would do that. And it's never said in the movie how he did do that. Good point. (laughs) (laughs) Like when I was watching the end of the movie, I was like, wait, Hank didn't do anything. Like what? What happened? (laughs) I don't understand yeah, I never thought about that, but now that you mention it... It's not like Hank gave Scott a job or anything, or a lump sum of money. He didn't even get him out of his prison scuffle, yeah. so... huh? His ex's new fiancé got him out of it. Yeah. It's a really important thing that they didn't cover. <laughs> Certainly a plot hole. <laughs> well, I mean, it's kind of not because it didn't need to be resolved until after the end of the movie, but... 
you think they would have that be the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah, but we also never find out what it is. Yeah. In all the next times we see Scott. So exactly. <laughs> it's like nothing actually happened. Okay. <laughs> Can't trust the Pims, man. Nope. Why is everyone so paranoid about the Starks? You should be paranoid about the Pims. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. And we especially shouldn't trust the Pims because I love how Scott's like, yes, I'll help you. I will get my daughter back and this is going to be great. My days of breaking into places and stealing shit is over. What do you want me to do? And Hank's immediately, yeah, I want you to break into places and steal some shit. And he's just like, his mind is just breaking because he's like, I just want to be a good father and an honest person to be there for Cassie. And everyone just wants me to rob places. Is that all I'm good for? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, in this situation, he's the good guy, though. Yeah, but he just wants to be a good normal guy. And everyone just wants him to be a Robin Hood character. That's who he is. Yeah, and he's great. And it's just so funny. <laughs> Yeah, and then we get that moment of Scott saying, we should call the Avengers, and Hank's like, I will never trust a Stark after Howard. And that's about it. Yeah, and I really like when they acknowledge the Avengers exist and could help save the day, and why they aren't called in. Because that was a thing that they had to start working into Phase 2, and they like really dropped the ball on Iron Man 3 and kind of on Winter Soldier. But here they very specifically acknowledged it. To be honest, I usually roll my eyes when they're like, why can't we call the Avengers? Like, I don't need them to address it. I prefer if they don't, but I know you like it, so good thing it was there for you. <laughs> Yay, I win! <laughs> but to be fair, I don't even think this is Avengers level. But I guess we never really see the Avengers deal with low-level stuff, so we don't really know what they're willing to help with. Yeah, and this movie is very small scale, but then you can tell that it could get very big by selling to Hydra at the end. So, like, I guess it is a world-endangering thing, even though it doesn't feel like it in the film. <laughs> yeah, because clearly that suit can do a ton of damage. Yeah. But we don't really see that in Hydra's hands. Indeed. But before our whole training montage begins, it's... Nice that we get a real heart-to-heart -heart between Hank and Scott. And Hank is just like, hey, I hate that Hope doesn't see me as a good father. She lost all of her admiration for me. And she looks at me like a monster. But I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want you to suffer the same thing with Cassie. If he were to get arrested and be a criminal again. And that's really touching. And I appreciate Hank's softer moments. For sure. Also, I'm not actually sure if Hope heard all of that, but she was nearby. I don't know. But anyways, we get to the entire training sequence, which is actually a really large chunk of the movie. I didn't remember that, like how long it is. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, too, because it's like sort of a training montage, but it's also not. And a lot of things happen and information is given in this time. Yeah. So we get a lot of interesting tidbits in this thing that set things up for later, which includes... Scott messing with the regulator and Hank being all, No, don't do that! If that becomes compromised, you go subatomic, which means you enter the quantum realm, which means you enter reality where time and space become irrelevant as you shrink for all eternity. And Scott's just like, cool, won't touch it then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's <laughs> so funny. It's kind of interesting that they can even do things while going subatomic, like 
we find out that's how Janet undid the missile, but if they're just shrinking forever, I'm amazed that there's enough time for them to, like, disarm the missile before they're shrunk small enough. Oh, I agree. It makes no sense. Okay. I was going to get to that later. Cool. Because if they go uh, <laughs> subatomic to get through the thing, then they're already too small to have any impact. Yeah, that's, yeah. Well, there you go, then. Mm-hmm. And we also get Hope training him in martial arts, but the fact that she said before now, I should have gone when we had weeks and now we have days makes me think. So all of this is happening in a few days and is training him in martial arts. Like, I feel like that wouldn't actually do anything in such a short amount of time. I mean, he was already very physically capable. He just wasn't formally trained, I guess. He was just like prison trained and cat burglar trained. I don't know. So her teaching him a few moves, I guess you're saying, gives him that advantage. <laughs> I think it just gives him more control over his power at different sizes. I don't know. It is weird. Yeah. You can learn a lot in a week if you devote your entire time to it, though. I guess so. And this is also when he names Antony. Yeah. The flying ant. And he learns to control the ants and he gets shrinking discs. And growing discs. Correct. Which are really cool <laughs> and yeah. cause all sorts of shenanigans later in the movie. Indeed. And then we also get some character growth for Hank and Hope. Yes. As we get introduced to Janet's mystery death and then later how Hank dealt with it and how Hope had to deal with Hank being an absent father and then eventually them coming to terms with what happened and Hank telling her the truth. Yeah, because apparently he's been telling her all along that her mom died in a plane crash, and she knows that's a lie. But we get her side of the story of how her mom died when she was seven, and then her dad just disappeared for two weeks. She didn't see him during that entire time. And then when he came back, she's like, he didn't come back in any significant way, and he just sent me off to boarding school. Yep. And then we get Hank's confession of how Janet actually convinced him to let her join him as the Wasp. And he'll forever regret saying yes to her, which is why he's refusing to let Hope do this now. Which is just confusing, because, like, was she a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent before? Or was she just like, oh, hi, honey, I'd love to go on your crazy intercontinental adventures with you. Like, if she was already a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, seems like it would have been more okay. Well, they didn't talk about that in this movie, but I think she was a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent? Probably. That's probably how they got married. But still, if she hadn't convinced him to give her the wasp tech then she wouldn't be dead now so it still makes sense she isn't dead she's infinitely shrunken probably yes you get my point yes <laughs> <laughs> but we find out that there was separatists in 1987 that like aimed a missile at the u.s and hank's regulator wasn't functioning correctly so janet had to be the one to shrink between molecules disarm the missile and she went subatomic forever yeah that whole thing doesn't really make sense to me because if you have to go subatomic to get between molecules in order to disrupt macroscopic tech, I feel like you're already too small to cause any damage. Yeah, I agree. It's confusing. It doesn't really make sense. <laughs> <laughs> but then Hank spent the next 10 years learning everything he could about the quantum realm to no avail, just to try and get her back. Yeah, which is also weird because it's been like almost 30 years. So why did he give up? Like, why did he only spend 10 years and not more? Because <laughs> he found out that they don't actually know anything? I guess. I mean, to be honest, 
it's hard for me to swallow that he just stopped after that when Scott had such an easy time getting out of the quantum realm. Yeah, it was weird. But to be fair, I don't think he ever tried going in. Because if he tried to go in and didn't have a guaranteed way out, he could have just screwed up and died, essentially. And I get that. It's just hard to swallow because it was so easy for Scott to get out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And that's actually my that's a stretch is just how ridiculously easy it was for Scott to get back out of the quantum realm when he went subatomic. He had Casey in his mind. He had to get back for her. Yeah. He can conquer the impossible in a very short amount of time. Yeah, apparently. I mean, it's like, you can't do this. It's impossible. No one can return. And then he does it, and he happens to be holding the one thing that he could possibly use to return, which is the enlarging disc, and he just puts it in his belt and is like, oh, that worked. And also, I don't remember any of it now. Yeah. It's kind of funny, because you're like, Janet was a really capable user of that suit, too. Don't you think she would have, like had some kind of natural intuition to do it even better than him. Yeah, but also I'm guessing they didn't have enlarging discs back then, and that was the only difference. Maybe. Who knows? But that's later in the movie, but I just... We were there, so I'm talking about it now. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But that's when Hope's like, oh, like, crying and realizes why her dad had all these problems and whatever. It's like, okay, you do care. You were trying to protect me. And rescue my mommy. Yeah. But, like, tell her. (laughs) Don't wait for 30-ish years. Yeah, but there was all those excuses Hank had about how he didn't tell her because he was trying to protect her, which I don't really get what that protects her from. Yeah, because clearly she knew about the shrinking tech. Yeah. So I don't really understand. Like, maybe she didn't know when she was a kid. It would be nice if we had a little bit more information about when she discovered that her parents were actually, like, superheroes. But still, how keeping the fact that Janet was there, too, is protecting her, I don't get. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But the last bit of the training arc that we should talk about is the invasion of the Avengers facility. Indeed. Because apparently Hank didn't check before they arrived if the old Stark warehouse was still a Stark warehouse. And it now is the Avengers facility. Yeah. (laughs) Which I guess it's reasonable. Why would you think some like random warehouse in upstate New York would change? But like, seems important. And then we have Ant-Man invading and fighting Falcon, which is awesome. (laughs) This fight is freaking fantastic. It's great. It's so cool to see heroes fighting each other. It's so cool to see limitations and abilities of their technology that you didn't know they had, like Falcon tracking Ant-Man, which is impressive all on its own. Yeah. And it's impressive how well Ant-Man's actually able to fare against Falcon. It's really funny and cool. And he actually wins, which is crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, he escapes. No, he won. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. He took out Falcon's whole pack, so Falcon couldn't fight him. Yeah. I love how Falcon just like, all right, please don't tell Cap. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't want him to know I failed. And their chemistry was hilarious too, Ant-Man and Falcon. Oh yeah, totally. Falcon is like the best side character to everyone. He just makes scenes so much better on his own. I just love scenes with Falcon like this. He's just so funny. He really is. His personality is great. It bounces off of a lot of different superheroes really well. Yeah. 
Well, anyways, Darren Cross's technology is now working and he's ready to sell. But before he does that, for some reason, he decides to blatantly walk into Hank Pym's house in order to kill him. Yeah, I don't really understand why he wanted to kill him here, because actually inviting him to see him sell the yellow jacket to Hydra would have been better, which is what he ended up doing. Yeah, yeah. His character's really strange to me. Like, I don't know. I don't really get it. Yeah. He's like this super successful dude who finally beat his maker, essentially, but he's so mad that his maker wouldn't share the secret for personal reasons that he has to go kill him now. Yeah. But doesn't, because Hope is there. Yeah, and then later on, like, right after this scene, he calls Hope, and Hope clearly lies to him. And then after that, we find out that he knew Hope was there, and that's why he didn't kill Hank. But then, in, like, the next scene, he appeared to still trust Hope, still walking around Pimtech like it didn't matter. Like, sure, he still did, like, kind of sort of capture Hank and Hope later, but he only threatened to kill Hank. I don't really understand what his perspective on Hope is at this moment. Later on, we find out that he knew all along about Hope, so I think... Or not all along, but since the house visit. So I think at this point, he doesn't trust her, but he's acting like he does. I can't remember the details, but I think he still tried to get Hope on his side to kill Hank. Because he just thinks she still hates him that much or something. I don't know. I mean, he brought out a gun in front of her to kill Hank, but... No one pointed a gun at her. I know. That's why I'm confused. I mean, yeah, maybe the scene just wasn't executed really well, or they just didn't think Hope, since she didn't have a gun, would actually matter, or I don't know. I don't know, it was really weird. But anyways, yeah, that whole scene at the house was odd. Yeah, and my first note was, what the heck, you just walk into someone's house? Because I didn't realize he was there to kill him. Like, you don't just walk into someone's house. Also, Hank's crazy paranoid, and like, if you're in his house, he knows where you are. Like, how did this happen? (laughs) Yeah, I'm surprised he doesn't have, like, super security measures telling him that. I think he does. So I think this was just a poor writing decision. Probably. Just this one scene. It didn't really seem necessary. Yeah. But now security has been increased threefold. Yeah, which for some reason he tells Hope about, even though he doesn't trust her. Yeah. Or he knows she's lying to him. (laughs) It doesn't really make sense. Yeah, but maybe this is still all bait to capture Ant-Man. Which, I don't know why he assumed that would have happened. He didn't need that extra bait, though, because Ant-Man would come anyway. Yeah, exactly. Like, what? This little segment of the movie is, like, the most confusing part of it. Yeah. I don't know what what the choices are here, but that happened. So they needed reinforcements. Because they have to go through the water system instead now, instead of the vents. And they get Louise's team. The best team. And then we get the break-in heist with all of its epicness. Yeah, and it is really cool. And I really love how, before it all starts, Luis is like, you know, like, I'm going to get into character. Like, I'll, like, whistle or something. And everyone's like, no, don't do that. And then later you just see him, like, whistling, like, it's a small world after all. And I'm like, ha! Marvel's owned by Disney, but this is also perfect in every way imaginable. Yeah, except it gets him found out. It's kind of how he got found out, but he really got found out when he said to the boss man... Hey, the boss man told me to come here. (laughs) Yeah, I just meant someone was on to him because he whistled. Yeah. And he was told not to do that. So, dang it, Luis. (laughs) It worked anyways. Yeah, but then we meet 
Darren's buyers with Hank and Hope in the room, and he literally just flat out tells them, these are representatives of Hydra. Isn't that fun? (laughs) Yeah, and doesn't this, like, hurt the entire universe's notion that Hydra is all burned out at this point? Like, Age of Ultron was supposed to be the Avengers finishing them off, and even in S.H.I.E.L.D., Ward gathered together the remaining scraps of Hydra he could find, which was, like, a couple people, and there's no leaders left. Yeah. So, who is this guy? But also, it's Hydra, and even if you think you've destroyed Hydra, there could be, like, an entire other secret network that had nothing to do with the main one, and it just takes over, so Hydra's infinite. Yeah, and I get that. It just seems to blatantly contradict the previous film (laughs) finishing off Hydra. (laughs) Yeah, especially because the movies never acknowledge Hydra again, like, as a threat in the present. Yeah. So it's (laughs) very odd. Definitely strange, but Hydra is bad, so clearly they were banking on that choice. (laughs) Yeah. And if they did control a network of yellow jackets that could literally swarm the entire world and put them in control... It would be exactly like what they faced in Winter Soldier when they were trying to do the same thing and kill all the people in advance. Yeah. So they could just do that with Yellow Jackets instead. <laughs> but kind of also a hybrid of like Iron Man 2 of like giving suits to bad people and Iron Man 1. Sure, yeah. But anyways, the situation escalates. Ant-Man gets captured in the container that usually holds the Yellow Jacket suit, but it was not in there. It was in a briefcase. Well, they took it out right as he went in there. Oh, yes. Sorry, my bad. Hank Pym gets shot. Scott breaks out of his now prison and beats up most of the people in the room with help thanks to Hope. And everything is going crazy. And Darren Cross has escaped the room. And so did that Hydra guy who had stolen the yellow jacket suit. Yeah, who never gets mentioned again. Other than the fact that he stole Cross particles or Pym, yellow Pym particles, so... He sort of has the technology? Yeah. We don't know if he actually survived or not. (laughs) Yeah. We never see him again in the movie. The wiki mentions that he was never seen again, so we don't really know what happened. Indeed. I guess he could still come back. Or he's dead. One of those. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Um, But then as Ant-Man pursues Darren onto the helicopter, Antony gets shot. Which is really sad. Except, why is Darren just, like, randomly shooting into a swarm of ants? Like, is that actually expected to work? Right? Yeah. Like, earlier in this scene, when Ant-Man is trying to break out of the facility and he's being shot at by two guards in, like, the mini version of the Crosstech building, which was really cool on its own, which is another example of the really cool small-scale scenes. Like, people keep shooting at him in the Ant-Man form. Clearly that's not gonna work. But also, somehow, Darren's vision is just so great that he actually kills the ant that Scott is riding on, which you would not be able to see from that far away. <laughs> yeah, in the middle of the night, too. Yeah, it was it was strange. <laughs> but... And poor Antony. No. Poor Antony. But Ant-Man does get on the helicopter that Darren Cross is using to escape. He does, and Darren is just absolutely insane to the point where he's stupid and is just shooting all over the helicopter, both with guns. <laughs> like, he literally kills everyone in the helicopter Yeah, while flying. Like, yep. you would be dead if you're not wearing this suit, like, once you get that on. But <laughs> I'm just like, what are you doing? Especially when he's yellow jacket and just shooting the beams all around and destroying the helicopter. Like, okay. Yep. 
Good job, guy. But we also see Pimtech blow up and then implode, which happens exactly like the Agent Carter tech that Howard made. Yeah, I was going to mention that. So it's like, oh, it looks like that tech was Howard Stark trying to make Pim Particles. Possibly. I didn't think this had anything to do with Pim Particles. It might, but we don't really know. How could it? I mean, in Agent Carter, he used some kind of implosion bomb. So this was also some kind of implosion bomb. Yeah, but implosion has nothing to do with shrinking. True, but this could have been his first explorations into the field. Because this was also long ago. Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) Did Howard even know Hank back then, though? Because that was a long, long time ago. I don't know. We just know that they've known each other for a very long time. Yeah, who knows? But anyways, while Darren's going on his crazy rampage in the helicopter, they both get trapped in a briefcase and then fall out of the helicopter while fighting in the briefcase. They accidentally activate an iPhone Siri to play music as they're falling. And it's super ridiculous and cool. Just another really fun small scale scene. Then they land in the backyard of like some random family's barbecue and just keep fighting at their house. Yeah. Poor family. Yeah, and Yellow Jacket's super freaking scary, so... Oh god, yeah, he's terrifying. (laughs) But then he gets zapped in the bug zapper. (laughs) Yeah, he gets stuck in there. While Scott gets tased and arrested. (laughs) How did the cops get there so fast? That's what I want to know. I don't know. I don't know. There are a few issues with this final battle with how fast cops get to places and Darren Cross gets to places. Like, it's it's a little weird. But overall, it's really cool because they do a lot of cool action and... And character building. Yeah. Because the next segment is Yellow Jacket somehow got to Scott's ex's house and kidnaps Cassie. Well, not kidnaps. He just takes her hostage. True. Yeah. We don't really know what his longer term goals are, but to be fair, he might not have any. Yeah. I don't even know why he was so focused on Cassie. He's like, no, you must pay for your dad's mistakes. And I'm like, but why? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, we do get that Darren hates Scott so much because Darren was Hank Pym's protege who Hank only eventually admits that he abandoned because he saw too much of himself in Darren. So the fact that Hank chose Scott infuriates him beyond belief and... Scott also led to everything he's ever built to be destroyed. So I could kind of understand why he's so enraged at Scott. And I get that. I just, I'm like, so why are you targeting his child? Like, you have to kill his child even when Scott's right there. You're like, no, I can't let Cassie escape. I must kill her. Yeah, I don't know, man. He's crazy. I think that's part of the point is him just going mad. Especially once he got stuck in the fly zapper and it made it worse. Totes mad for sure. (laughs) I mean, worse. Did it make it worse? He was already destroying helicopters, killing everyone that moved. Like, really? (laughs) (laughs) But we get a lot of really cool fights here. Like, all the stuff with the Thomas the Train Engine stuff was great. Oh my gosh, it was hilarious. Like, when you're zoomed in, it feels like such a horrifying, terrible war zone. Like, crazy beams are coming from everywhere. Explosions are going on. Like, and like, they're fighting with entire trains that they're throwing. And then, like, Darren gets thrown off the train. The entire train's coming at him. And then you just get zoom out and just see the train fall off the track, like, really casually. I'm like, yeah. oh. It just, it's so funny. Or an entire train car gets, like, blown out with super dramatic music and is flying through the air. And then it zooms back out. And it's, like, just casually doo-doo. landing on the windowsill. Yep. 
Just a tiny little click-tick-click. <laughs> yeah. Well, we also do get the giant ant that I don't know how in the world anyone would mistake that ant for a dog. Like, when that one police officer is like, that's a weird dog. And then, like, the giant Thomas' train engine landing and crushing a police car. Which yeah. brings up the whole mass making no sense thing. But it's just so cool. It is. But eventually, Scott discovers that the only way he can stop Yellow Jacket is by shrinking in between the molecules. Because his tech is guarded by titanium or something. Even though his eye sockets clearly aren't. Yeah, and Scott goes subatomic and poof into the quantum realm, but gets out of it because, you know, enlarged disc in his belt. We already talked about this. Yeah. <laughs> so this this entire aspect of the fight seemed so hammed in and unnecessary to me. Yeah. So I like the quantum realm stuff, but the fact that he needed to do it was kind of silly. Yep. Especially because it's like, as far as he knew, that was him not even dying. That was him like eternally being stuck in nothing like that's a fate worse than death that he didn't really seem to need to do even if he couldn't stop him by breaking into his power source and stuff i mean i guess he didn't see any other way to stop yellow jacket though yeah it just seemed like a bit too much it was definitely immediately going for the worst option (laughs) yeah (laughs) instead of trying to creatively find a way around it but yeah I agree. Yeah. But it did remind me that I didn't remember that Yellow Jacket got shrunk into nothing. So that was really shocking to see again. I didn't actually remember what happened to him. Yeah, no, he went poof. Yeah, so that was really morbid. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> but a fitting end for a fitting villain, I guess. Yeah. And then we get the end scenes where we find out that Scott doesn't remember anything that happened in the quantum realm. Conveniently, because Hank is like, well, I guess the human mind just can't comprehend the experience, which I wonder what that means if Janet's stuck down there. (laughs) Who knows? I wonder if we will ever find out. (laughs) I think this is a little too much now. (laughs) Yeah. Clearly we find out in the next movie, but it's odd. And then moments later, we have Hank catching Hope and Scott kissing Yeah, because didn't you see that coming, Henry? Oh yeah, 100%. They kind of were setting it up ever so slightly, but this is totally the kind of movie where I would have been very happy if they suggested that a romance was blossoming at the end rather than actually having them kiss. Yeah, for sure. It was really weird, but I love how Scott's like trying to like push it off and be like, oh no, Hope like jumped on me or something. And then Hank is straight up like, Scott, you're full of shit. Yep. Scott's shit in this movie is always hilarious. And I love that Hank will just call him out on it because he deserves it. Yes. (laughs) Um, And then we get Scott dining with Paxton, the cop, and his ex-wife, and Cassie. And Paxton tells him that he reported to his captain that Scott was processed correctly the night he got out of jail. So there's actually not going to be any repercussions for him. He's free to go. And I guess Hope dropped the charges, so it didn't even matter that he was ever arrested. They never really explain why him being processed correctly was enough. Yeah. (laughs) He still did break into a house. They caught him in the act. I mean, them processing it, though, would be like, were any crimes committed? Yeah. All the paperwork going on his records, should he be in jail? So he's just saying that they processed him correctly and him getting out is fine. Yeah. But then at the end of the dinner, 
Scott gets called away for work. So you're like, oh, he's going to do something for Hope and Hank because Hank said he was going to help him out and make sure you could see Cassie, which is what he's clearly doing right now. But then instead of going to Hank, you see him go to Louise and you're like, what? Is he going to do more crime? (laughs) Are you kidding? Yeah. (laughs) But then we get Louise's second story of the movie, which is great. And we find out that Falcon is looking for Ant-Man. And in the story, we also get the Stan Lee cameo as a bartender. Oh, yeah. This is such a late Stan Lee cameo, too. And it was another one that I totally forgot, so I totally got caught off guard again. And it was so funny. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the end of the film. Falcon's looking for Ant-Man. Yeah. But then to jump into our end credit scenes, the first one we have is Hank finally admitting that maybe Hope should take the mantle of the Wasp, finally. Yeah, we get the Wasp suit prototype that he and Janet worked on and she never got to wear. And Hope being like, it's about damn time. And it's very much a tease for her being the Wasp. Indeed. And then the second scene is a straight scene just ripped from Civil War. <laughs> yeah, that was super weird. Very weird. It's not even like the beginning of Civil War. It's like the middle of Civil War. Yeah. When Falcon's like, yo, we need Ant-Man. It's like, okay. Yeah, and I never really got why it was in this movie until this watch when I'm like, oh, I guess just because they're talking, like, referring to Ant-Man. Because Falcon's like, oh, we have no one to turn to, but I know a guy. Yeah. (laughs) But looking back at it now, this would have been a perfect time for Luis's second story to be like, hey, like, I heard a thing. And then it zigs all the way down to Falcon looking for him. Yeah, I agree. That would have been an amazing way to end it. But they wanted a Civil War stinger, I guess. Yeah, it was a weird choice. We didn't actually talk about the contents of the scene, which is Bucky stuck in a thing saying, I'm me! And then Steve and Falcon being like, we don't have anyone to turn to because of the Accords. Yeah, we can't turn to Stark. (laughs) Like, they mention the Accords, they mention camp being on Stark's side. It's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> but there you have it. Yeah. We have finished the movie. So I guess we should talk about our segments that we haven't covered yet. Indeed. So, Trey, do you have a character of the week? And for those who don't remember, we're talking about the best character of the movie, not including the main hero. Yeah, I mean, I think I gotta give it to Luis. <sighs> yeah. I have to also. He is so great. He's the funniest character in the movie, even though Scott is absolutely hilarious. Anytime Luis is on the screen, too, he totally steals the show. Absolutely. He's so great. Yeah, the only other contender would be Cassie, but not enough screen time, like I said before. (laughs) Yeah. And it's kind of weird because, like, Hank is also just, as far as a character's lore being fleshed out and introduced, Hank is a super, super interesting character. He is a horrible father and really sketchy with how he stalks people and stuff and kind of did Darren wrong because, like, he just never helped with Darren at all to, like, understand what was going on properly. He just, like, ignored the problem that was clearly growing. Like, he's a super cool character, but he's not who I would give character of the week. Yeah, no, he's super fleshed out, which I imagine is because... They have years and years of comics of him being the first Ant-Man to have as his backstory. Yeah, totally. But they didn't want to make him be the Ant-Man in this movie since he's very problematic and many bad things happen with him, I think. Yeah. (laughs) I've heard some bad stuff about him in the comics. Yeah. 
So we get Scott, and Scott is great in this film. <laughs> Indeed, he is fantastic. What did you think was the best innovation, Henry? So I think the best innovation for me is all the small size effects. When doing effects like that, it's really easy to do it poorly. Same thing with slow motion stuff like they did in Age of Ultron. But they were top notch in this movie. And they were like all super exciting to watch. But it was also super exciting to see them scale up to the normal size of the events very fluidly. And it was just all really well done. How about you? Absolutely. I'm having trouble coming up with a best innovation for this film because I feel like the whole movie is a best innovation. <laughs> like, like I found the entire humor of the film completely refreshing and new and different. And it's a heist film. It's the first film about a father in the MCU because Scott is Cassie's dad. And the whole film is small scale. I feel like all of the other movies have been pretty, like, ginormous world events shaking things up. And this is the first one that actually feels small. Yeah. Which is very fitting since the hero gets small. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I am I think I'm going to give the best innovation to the fact that it is so small scale. Like, I really like that grounded quality to it. Yeah. And especially, it's really interesting that this movie came out between Age of Ultron and Civil War. Because, like, between such huge movies, having such a small movie might seem like it would be problematic, but it's actually really refreshing, like you said, and exciting, and it was really great. And honestly, I remember it so fondly compared to, like, Age of Ultron. Yeah, and it gives them so much more time to flesh out characters, which they don't get to do in a lot of the other movies because everything is so epic. Yeah. And grand scale. And it is a bummer, though, because I know that some people don't care for this movie as much because of that, or skipped it entirely because they figured it didn't matter. But this is, like, one of the most solid films in the entire MCU, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. How about Worst Repeat Offender? So before I say my Worst Repeat Offender, I just wanted to mention that it was kind of interesting that instead of the villain having a swarm of like enemies to fight the heroes. This is the first time we have a movie where the hero has a swarm of allies to attack the villain with the ants. Yeah, that was I a lot of so. fun. <laughs> True. So that was like almost also a best innovation. But my worst repeat offender is the fact that the villain isn't really fleshed out that well compared to other villains. He's just not that engaging. He's just evil for the sake of evil and that's it. Yeah, that's mine as well. The only other one I could think of was that it's another bad version of the hero, but that's not a negative to this film. It works really well. So just the fact that the villain is so bland, so evil, so like there's no depth to him. Yeah, I agree entirely. It's definitely the worst repeat offender. Yeah. And for our last segment, Not a Great Plan, where we rate the plan of the villain, it's kind of funny because this is like... The only Marvel movie where the villain didn't really have a plan? I know. What What was his plan? Making a pimp particle? Uh, inviting Hank and Scott to try and kill slash capture them? Yeah, like, he just was showing <laughs> off that he succeeded in making pimp tech, which is really impressive, to be honest. 
I mean, I guess you could call his plan to sell to Hydra and hold on to the fuel so he becomes the most powerful man in the world, like, a sort of a plan. But yeah. it's also just a business choice. Yeah, so, like, really the only plan that matters is, is Hank and Hope's plan to invade PIM Technologies a good plan? And they probably should have done it sooner. Hmm. So you you want to evaluate the hero's plan? I don't know. I just think this... <laughs> I don't think we can answer this question for the villain. That's fine. I think we can just say that. Yeah. It's not a great plan because he doesn't have one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not a great plan, Darren. You should have been ready. You should have just killed Hank earlier and not trusted Hope, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I guess the fact that he did capture Scott and that was a plan of his, but then Scott like breaks free and stops him could be judged. Yeah, I mean, Scott did break out of there really easily, but he did use one of those growing discs to break out of it. So it's not like he could have broken out without it. Yeah. So, meh. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. I don't Uh, even think it's worth judging, to be honest. (laughs) Me neither. Though, really quick, that reminds me of something we didn't talk about was the tank keychain actually growing into a tank so that Hank and Hope could break out of the factory was really awesome. (laughs) Yeah, and funny. (laughs) Yeah, and really funny. Especially because they were hinting at them doing that the entire movie. Like, during the first break-in, we see Scott find the tank keychain, and later we see Hank pick it up, so you knew it was coming. So, good setup and payoff. Yeah. Any other thoughts before we rate the films? I like Kurt yelling that Scott's a gypsy when he shrinks the first time. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We kind of passed over that moment of all of the weird three burglars freaking out about Ant-Man shrinking for the first time. And that was really funny. So just a scene I wanted to mention. I love that trio. (laughs) Or also like the other guy like stealing the police car to distract them. Like they're just really funny and they seem like horrible criminals, but they actually get the job done. Yeah. (laughs) Well, then what were your thoughts overall, Henry? I think I've made it very clear so far. I love this movie. It is hilarious. Everything it brings to the table is new and refreshing. The new powers are really cool. The new characters are all really interesting. Like, we don't get into the minds of Hope and other characters nearly as much as I would like yet. But we get a huge sampling of this new corner of the universe we hadn't explored yet. It flows so well. The powers are so cool and interesting, and the comedy is so fluid and great. I just freaking love this movie. (laughs) I would give it an A+. This movie is fantastic. The only things that really bother me is just how dull Darren Cross is and, like, some of the weirdness of, like, oh, that was kind of weird how they got to that point, but everything else is fine. I'm really surprised to hear you say that. I thought that you were going to give it an A. (laughs) Nope. When I rewatched this movie, it just reminded me of how amazing this movie is. It is, I think, like (laughs) one of the top level Marvel movies. How about you? I've been struggling with how I should rate this film because I've been bouncing between A and A plus. And I like it better than all the movies that I've given an A to. With the exception of maybe Iron Man 3, I think those two are pretty close. But Iron Man 3 has more flaws. Whereas Ant-Man is more of a tighter film. 
However, I'm also looking at the previous movies I've given a pluses to. That's First Adventure and Iron Man, and those are both great films, and I'm not totally sure that Ant-Man's on their level, so I feel like it's kind of in this weird in-between zone. But because I really enjoy this movie, and I think it's fantastic and love the characters, it's really refreshing, the humor is great, I am also giving it an A+. All right, then. I guess we agree yet again. Yeah, I thought that I was going to have a higher ranking than you. No, I've told you before, I really like this movie. Yeah, just the way you've talked about it has made me think that you like it a lot, but not as much as I do. So I'm a little surprised to hear that. Well, this rewatch was refreshing, and it reminded me of how much I really like this movie. And it ages super well. Cool. Glad we're on the same page then. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) All right, so I guess that wraps up our episode. Our last official film episode is complete. Indeed. Weird to think about. So anyways, like we said in the beginning of the podcast, this is our last formal movie episode. We still may do movie specials in the future, but for now, just we are on hiatus. But... For our next episode, we're going to be doing a summary of all of Phase 2, which includes a poll, which you may have already seen on our Facebook page. But if you haven't yet, go check it out. It might still be up there on our social media. Yeah, and if you do want to stay tuned for announcements on any specials that we do for new movies and stuff, follow us on social media. You can find us at Facebook and Twitter at MarvelousMCU. You can find us on Instagram at MarvelousMCUPodcast, or you can send us an email at MarvelousMCUPodcast at gmail.com. And remain subscribed so that those new episodes immediately come to you. So please like, rate, and review this podcast so that you can help share it with anyone else who might enjoy going through phases one and two with us. Indeed. So thanks everyone so much for tuning into our giant Marvel adventure going through all of this universe until the end of phase two. So thanks for tuning in and we hope you'll join us next time for our last official podcast on all of phase two.